and we trust and pray that the service will continue to be a blessing. I had never heard that song, Sister Crowder, and it's a wonderful song. And it sounds like you that are here and lost, the way of salvation has been made plain. Right. It's simple. And so as the song said, I'm believing on him to save. That's all you have to do. Amen. So I said, it, it, but I can't do that. Then ask the Lord to help you. Those that you, of you that have asked the Lord to help you, don't think that he will not help you. Because the day of salvation is today. We have no hope of tomorrow. Yeah. But we're appreciative as well. It does our hearts good to be asked to speak in our son's pulpit. We have that privilege when we go uh, to our oldest son's field of labor there in Pleasant Plains, Illinois. And we're thankful that Jesse, our son, is back home taking care of the services for us. I messaged him this morning and said, I, or he messaged me and said, Dad, you're preaching a lot in this, this month. And I said, I said, well, so are you. He's been taking care of all the services when we have uh, been down here. And I said, I thank the Lord I can always count on you. Yeah. And my dad used to have an expression. He said, it's not just people that you count, but it's people that you can count on. Mm -hmm. That means a great deal. And it does. And so we're so glad that you're here. We're thankful that uh, the service of the Lord is important to you and God removed perhaps hindrances so that you could be here. Yeah. Or sometimes different things uh, crop up as the expression goes, but we're glad that you're here. And we certainly are. And we want to be a blessing and we pray that the message will be a blessing. We believe that it... Uh, shall be and as God goes before us uh, and works in everyone's heart if he'd be pleased to do so may everyone leave rejoicing that we came to the house of the Lord mm -hmm. the Solomon said I was glad when they said unto me let us go unto the house of the Lord mm -hmm. when we leave may we be glad to say I was glad I came Amen. I was glad I was there and certainly that could be a blessing as well. We invite your attention this morning to the book of 2 Samuel chapter 6. The book of 2 Samuel chapter 6. And we find in the scriptures some wonderful teachings, Bible characters, events that took place. And my, how they have such great meaning. And they're still needful today, these same truths. Because though the truth is old, it has not become obsolete. Some things, you know, become antique, as the expression has been said. A uh, pastor I knew in uh, Michigan one time, he always called it antiques instead of an antique. And we find that a lot of people think that the Bible is just of no value today because it's obsolete. It's old. And 
but the truth, anything that's new is not truth from the standpoint of it being biblical. Because the Bible, the truth is always the same. It doesn't change. And we give God the praise for that. So surely that's something that we can count on. The Lord and His wonderful Word. But here in 2 Samuel chapter 6, several passages we shall be reading in Samuel as well as in the Chronicles. And in chapter 6, 2 Samuel, I want to begin reading it verse 9 and David was afraid of the Lord that day and said how shall the ark of the Lord come to me so David would not remove the ark of the Lord unto him into the city of David but David carried it aside into the house of Obed-Edom the Gittite and the ark of the Lord continued in the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite, three months. And the Lord blessed Obed-Edom and all his household. Now before we run further scripture reference, I want to say at this time that the subject matter that David is speaking of, as you are very well aware of, is the ark. The ark of the covenant here in the Old Testament. And one of the things that it has to do with is that it was a symbol of the presence of God. And so it was noted oftentimes that wherever the ark was, the presence of God, that it was a symbol of His presence. And we read here how that as it was at Obed-Edom, that even the household of one was blessed. And truly our households are blessed when the presence of God is there. The, and we give him the praise for that. And the Lord should live in everybody's house. We have a, a plaque or whatever that is called uh, hanging on the wall. And there are many things that a house is for. And one of them is that the Lord should be always the head of the house. Because truly that's what he should be. But it was a symbol of the presence of God. The invisible God. And it is a type of the Lord Jesus Christ. As so many things that we'll take note of briefly in the message. Of all that had to do with the tabernacle and the temple. Concerning the different objects. For example, the Ark of the Covenant. It became a center of Old Testament Hebrew worship. It was the very central point. There were several objects that went into the ark, wasn't there? And there was the unbroken law. There was the pot of manna. There was also Aaron's rod that had budded, blossomed, and bloomed. And all of these things that the ark contained, and you remember, of course, the lid, the top, and how that it speaks of the mercy seat. And so we find where that every bit of it points to who? It points to Christ. Every object in the ark pointed to Christ, and the ark itself, 
appointed unto the Lord. Because Christ is the mercy seat. That's what the lid was known as. And on the mercy seat was where the blood of different sacrifices was sprinkled. Well, Jesus, of course, he is the one who is our mercy seat, who sprinkled his blood, who shed his blood. Amen. The Ark of the Covenant kept the law as a container. In Jesus, we find the law fulfilled. And in the law, in him the law had been kept and the many different objects that the ark contained, it was a proper object for God's people. And God gave it to them, didn't he? You can go back, we'll not turn to the passage, but it's back in the, in the book of Exodus, I believe around chapter 25 and chapter 26 and elsewhere, and you will read in those passages concerning the description unto Moses of what he was to do and concerning the worship of God and what all would point unto him and the different objects such as the Ark of the Covenant and all that would be in it and the curtains, the rods, uh, the sockets, the very opening, the veil, all of these things have such great significance. That's right. And we find that to some people, the study of those things there in Exodus, I had a fellow one time remark and said, oh, we've, we've heard that before. It seemed as though in his remark, that it had become boring to him, mm -hmm. that it had become bothersome to him, and that he just didn't need it anymore. Well, I heard the gospel preached more than once, didn't you? Right. I heard it preached a whole lot of times. I'm glad nobody gave up Amen. and stopped preaching the gospel just because I hadn't trusted the Lord right. the first time, the second time, and a whole bunch of other times after that. Amen. They kept at it. And because the word of God has to be preached. It has to be proclaimed. And I'm glad that it did not become bothersome to them to proclaim it. I'm glad that the word of God has not become bothersome to some folks. They'll continue to worship him. They'll continue to attend the services of the Lord. That which represented the presence of the invisible God to the people there in the Old Testament tells us of Christ who when His presence is among us it brings comfort and joy. Yeah. And this same presence is a comfort and a joy to the people of God and it is a terror to the ungodly. Right. Because you remember on one occasion where that the Philistines had a hold of it. And you know, they weren't the people 
to have it. That's right. And they had heard how that the God of Israel had done such great things. But we find that some folks treat the Word of God and the Lord Jesus Christ, they treat Him in such a fashion that is disgraceful. Now, the people of God in the Old Testament, it came to where they treated the ark of God in a disgraceful fashion. And I'd like you to turn at this time over to 1 Chronicles chapter 13. Because there is certainly much that is said concerning uh, the ark and this particular uh, teaching. And I want to preach to you this morning on the subject of the restoring of the ark of God. The restoring of the ark of God. Because certainly we must acknowledge the fact that the children of Israel needed the presence of God. All they needed his presence. Desperately. And so do we. And it's so wonderful that when you ask Christ to come into your heart and to save you by his grace, he never departs. You never have to ask him to do that again. His presence is always there. But sometimes, and we know he promised, where two or three are gathered together in my name, the smallest uh, as far as church capacity is concerned, where two or three are gathered together in my name, there am I in the midst of them. He promised that. But then you read in the New Testament as well that there was one particular church, there were some others that did other things, but one crowded him out, didn't they? That's right. And his presence was not among them. And he told them what was going to happen if they did not repent. And so we read here in 1 Chronicles chapter 13, and I want to begin reading at verse 1. 1 Chronicles chapter 13 and verse 1, and I'm going to be reading through verse 11. And David consulted with the captains of thousands and hundreds and with every leader. David said unto the congregation of Israel, If it seem good unto you, and that it be of the Lord our God, let us send abroad our brethren everywhere that are left in all the land of Israel, and with them also to the priests and Levites which are in their cities and suburbs, that they may gather themselves unto us. And let us bring again the ark of our God to us, for we inquired not at it in the days of Saul. And all the congregation said that they would do so, for the thing was right in the eyes of all the people. So David gathered all Israel together from Shihor of Egypt, even unto the entering of Hamath, to bring the ark of God from Kithroth Jerem, David went up and all Israel to Bala, that is, to Kithroth Jerem, which is belonged to Judah, to bring up thence the ark of God the Lord that dwelleth between the cherubims, whose name is called on it. 
and they carried the ark of God in a new cart out of the house of Abinadab and Uzzah and Ahihu drave the cart. David and all Israel played before God with all their might, with singing, with harps, with psalteries, with timbrels, with cymbals, and with trumpets. When they came into the threshing floor of Kidron, Uzzah put forth his hand to hold the ark, for the oxen stumbled. There were oxen pulling this cart that the ark of the covenant had been placed upon. Now, how the ark was to be always transported was it, it was to be carried. It was not to be drawn on a cart by oxen, by horses, not even put on a cart and drawn by people. It was to always be carried. There had to be contact with, a human, with human beings. Verse 10, And the anger of the Lord was kindled against Uzzah, and he smote him because he put his hand to the ark, and there he died before God. And David was displeased because the Lord had made a breach upon Uzzah. Wherefore that place is called Perez Uzzah to this day. Verse 12, And David was afraid of God that day, saying, How shall I bring the ark of God home to me? He knew the answer. They all knew the answer. And they all knew the right way of how the ark was to be transported from one place to another. And yet, they didn't do it here, did they? And I'm thankful that we never read of this occurrence taking place a second time. Right. Or again and again and again, because I'm afraid that others would have ended up like Yuza mm -hmm. if the oxen had stumbled, and to steady the ark, then someone puts forth their hand to steady it, and they would die. Mm -hmm. Many people feel that God was being extremely fierce and that he was being too rough on Yuza because after all, God let a whole lot of people do a whole lot of things and he winked at it, so to speak. But it'll catch up to him. Right. But on this occasion, Yuza did this one thing and God killed him. That's literally what happened. God took his life. Because we know it is not in man to retain his spirit. And so we read in the scriptures here how that the ark was in one place and they wanted to transport it to another. Now, how did the ark go away? Why wasn't it where they were now moving it to? Well, let's look back to 1 Samuel chapter 4, and we'll just lay some of the groundwork, so to speak, here, of how that the ark, why did it need moved? Because there is a reason. And we read it here in the scriptures. In 1 Samuel chapter 4, and I want you to note verse 20 and 21. 1 Samuel 4, 
verse 20 and 21. And about the time of her death, the woman that stood by her said unto her, Fear not, for thou hast borne a son. But she answered not, neither did she regard it. And she named the child Ichabod, saying, The glory is departed from Israel, because the ark of God was taken, and because of her father-in-law and her husband. Then verse 22, And she said, The glory is departed from Israel, for the ark of God is taken. Now the background to all of this has to do with why was it taken and taken and how did the ark go away? It was because sin and iniquity had come between the people of the Lord at that time and the Lord. That's why. And so there was a time in Israel's experience when the people's hearts would depart from God. And we think that, we read it often in the Old Testament, don't we? That their hearts would depart from God. That they did not place Him in first place. They did not uh, set Him before all others. And when they did this, there were usually some consequences that did take place. And they varied, of course. Sometimes the earth opened up and swallowed some folks. Sometimes it didn't. But on this occasion, when the ark was being moved in an improper, not God-given way of transporting it, someone died. They had treated the ark as some people treat Christ today. And that is that because of their sins and iniquities that Jesus is not as near to them as he should be. And so as their hearts had departed from the Lord they ceased to consult the word of God. The word of God is also known in the scriptures as from what I've heard in, in different readings as the oracles of God. He gave them orally unto someone, didn't he? And we read how that since they did not consult the word of God because their hearts had gone astray, they sought to do their own will and go their own way and do things as they saw fit. And there are many people and there are even churches today that think that they can leave off the oracles of God, the blessed word of God, and they can go their own way, do things as they see fit, and what is pleasing to them, and that it is acceptable service unto the Lord, and they believe that their sacrifices are that which God does sanction. Well, we find the case here with the people of God of old, that they treated the ark in a very uh, unscriptural way from the standing of the directions and the teachings that God gave unto them. And so the ark had been taken from among them and they ignored God 
they ignored him for a certain period of time. And that's hard to take too, isn't it? Yeah. When a person ignores God, they ignore them in their thoughts, they ignore them in their plans, and they ignore him in their home. And some churches, sadly, they ignore God in the services. They just ignore him. And so whenever God's presence is departed from and his word is forgotten, the same thing can be said as was said here of a child that was named Ichabod. The glory of the Lord hath departed. I think I've, I, I've only known of one other Ichabod and that's of course in a story. But I wouldn't dare name a child Ichabod. The glory of the Lord had departed. I wouldn't do it. And I don't read of anybody else in the Bible being named Ichabod either. But the, certainly that's what had happened. When the symbol of the presence of the invisible God had departed from the uh, people of the Lord because sin had come between them. Well, what happened was, was an emergency, a crisis arose in the children of Israel's uh, lives. And they needed God's help. Because they were going to have to go to battle. And they needed God's help because they couldn't do it on their own. And sometimes that's when people really will get to thinking again seriously as, Lord, I can't, I can't do this on my own. And God brings folks to that place oftentimes, doesn't he? Amen. And he brings lost sinners to that place. They can't do it on their own. Because some folks say, well, I do trust the Lord. Well, then... You're saved. Because all I read in the Bible is, trust in him, believe on him, and thou shalt be saved. Isn't that what the word says? So make it known then. There was an emergency in Israel's life. They went to battle. They needed God's help. And who did, and what did they think of? The ark of God. Yeah, they were in trouble. And they thought of God. And isn't that when sometimes folks think of God is when they're in trouble? Because of course other times they will ignore him. But this is true in our day because churches try everything. Now they do. There are those assemblies that try everything of bringing the presence of God into their midst. And they try by man-made programs, by games and recreations, and by building the facilities that will be inviting to people. And therefore, they feel that this is all right because their motivation is, well, and I've heard it, they have said, well, in order to get people, You've got to provide something for them. 
That's what we do. Right. We provide Christ Amen. in the preaching and teaching of his word. Amen. In our very presence, we are saying as we assemble together that we are providing what we stand in need of and what a whole lot of others stand in need of. They just won't acknowledge it. That's right. So they were going to use, because they were in trouble, remember going to battle, they needed help. So they were going to use the ark against their enemies. Well, that's what they thought, didn't they? And so they brought the ark from Shiloh into the camp of Israel. And it again symbolized the presence of the Lord. And yet, they were making it a convenience for themselves. Because they were in a crisis, and so now they're going to think about the ark. Now they want it near to them. And so they were going to use it as an advantage for themselves. That's what they were thinking about it. Without any thought of God having been forsaken, of His Word, of that which symbolized His invisible presence, they did not give any thought of the glory and honor of God. And... So the ark failed them, didn't it? Right. I said, how could God let that happen? Oh, he's let a lot of things happen, hasn't he? Because when they put it up on that cart, and that cart was being pulled or drawn by oxen, it was as if they were trying to cause God to move and the Word of God to be driven in a mechanical fashion. That's exactly what it was. People invent new ways and means and organizational plans of how to serve God. And is because their hearts are departed from him and so their hearts are not resting on the Lord and his work and his cause. So the cause of God did not make any progress all the while that the ark had been gone from them. Right. Because as the name, the glory of the Lord hath departed. And so there are periods in the experience of people of God when God becomes almost, and this is really sad, He becomes almost a stranger to them. And that's hard to, to think about, isn't it? Or difficult. We either saved and, and you have a desire to serve the Lord and be used of Him. How can people consider God a stranger when they had professed faith in Christ at one time or another? And they had at one time served the Lord. 
Now the ark may not do God's people good. And certainly it will not when it's treated like a sham. They gave great evidence of their insincerity. And so sadly, it seems the curse of this world is upon the religions of this world. Because God doesn't have a place in the religions of this world. What we believe did not come of this world. Many thousands or more millions of dollars are spent on so many things and so many ways of getting the gospel out. And I, I only read of what God's word says about how that his that which he gives us and that which we give to him is to be used in the spread of the gospel. So the ark of God was out of place. When the presence of God is no longer among the people of God, then churches that call themselves Christians, they will resort to recreational centers. They will relate to social gatherings. They will relate to the Bible not being at the top of their list. And so Christ does not have his rightful place. And lost people, they will not come to Christ without the word. They just won't do it. And so we find that the ark of God, one of the desires of David was, and we read it in one of the scriptures earlier, how shall the ark of God come to me? And when one has departed from the Lord, that ought to be a desire. In getting right with the Lord, how can his presence be made manifest to me once again? He wanted to bring the ark home. And no child of God can be happy when the presence of God and the person of the Lord Jesus Christ is not taking the place that it should in their heart and in their life. Now David was a good man. We know that. We know that he was a sinful man. We know that he did some foolish things. We know that he did some mistakes. We know that again he sinned. But he's got all Israel together. He gathered them all together. And they had a great crowd. And they said, he said, we're going to bring the ark back home. And so, there was a contribution of human efforts to bring the ark back. They made a new cart. And what this has been likened to by preachers that I have heard in times past, they have likened that new cart 
to all of the ways of evangelism that goes against the teachings of God's Word. Because there are many. They make a lot of noise. But that's all that it is. Because I once heard a pastor say, we hear some of these high-ranking, very uh, followed evangelists. Mm -hmm. And they'll go around and they'll speak in, and they won't say anything different than what you hear as far as the way of salvation is concerned. And they'll speak to thousands, and thousands will flock to hear them speak. And some of them, they would do it, used to do it in stadiums, and they would give an invitation, and it was always the same hymn. And the fellow would stand behind the podium where he stood with his arms crossed, and there would be people just coming down the aisle. And so the question that this pastor posed once was this. How many churches of the Lord ever got started from this? How many mission works of the Lord were ever established that were eventually organized into a New Testament church? Not a one. You see, God has a plan, doesn't he? And this new cart... It became a convenience for them. And you have to be concerned about spiritual matters. Most people in a lot of churches today, what they're concerned about is going to some church that has dance programs. They're concerned about having some church that has uh, a bingo night. They're concerned about so many of these things that a church ought to not get mixed up with. Because they are of the flesh. They are of the world. You know, if you ever have a problem with turning on a light in your home, when you flip the switch, you know something's wrong. Well, you know, that switch is very important, isn't it? It's not just the fuse box or the circuit breaker box. It's that switch. And things were wrong. Now, in closing, I want to say this. David finally said, he said, let the Levites sanctify themselves. Well, did they or didn't they? Because if they truly did, and they would, David then acknowledged his mistake. At first, he didn't, did he? No, he, 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 he absolutely did not. They put it on a cart. Many times, people, churches, they have a new cart to do the work of the Lord on. And... The Lord's way to carry the ark was upon the shoulders of some human beings, some specific human beings. So 
So they sought a different way of getting the job done. And folks believe that, well, they found a better way. And truly it wouldn't be hurtful. Well, it was deathly, wasn't it? It was hurtful. David found out what the Lord said when he went against him. And David knew what he wanted. David knew absolutely what God wanted. That he wanted it carried the proper way. But they didn't do it. Many people know how the way of serving God is. And they just won't do it. You talk to people about not only trusting the Lord, but those who uh, say that they're saved, about uh, submitting themselves to scriptural baptism, becoming a member of the Lord's kind of church, and they just won't do it. And we find that we still have to witness, we still have to pray, we still have to plead with people. On one occasion, a pastor I knew, he gave an invitation at a revival meeting that he was in, that he was holding. That's what you used to call it. He's holding a revival meeting. And he put his arms out. And a minister from another church was in attendance than the one that was hosting the services. And he had some different beliefs and ways of seeing things differently. And he said, he called my father uh, a certain term that had to do with, well, he's uh, pleading with sinners. He's, he's beseeching sinners. And that I think the term was in that time, it was called Armenian. And then, of course, there's the other extreme where there's, and I, I, this name always got to me. They called him Hardshell. And the name itself, just had some different connotations to it. But he said, yeah, I'll ask sinners to trust the Lord. Right. Because just as we beseech God's people to present themselves as a living sacrifice, so we will also beseech lost sinners to trust in Christ. Amen. We cannot properly do the work of the Lord. We cannot do it prayerfully intelligent when we go against what God's word says. Because what that was really and truly with that new cart it was a neglected duty. They neglected their duty unto God. The proper thing to do was to put it upon the shoulders and carry it. And one of the teachings with upon the shoulders was that it was to be a burden and my, what it must have been. Well, David wanted to alleviate that. Well, you can't alleviate the burden of the Lord, can you? No. Not by human means. Not by anything mechanical. Not by the ways of the world. So the proper thing is to put the burden on the Lord of the, of the Lord and of His Word on our shoulders and carry it. Amen. And to go forth. And the Bible says, go out in the name of the Lord. And you know what happened when it was done right? The ark came home to him. It came home to him. And my, what great truths. This again, as we began the message, had to do with 
another one of the wonderful teachings in the Bible. And somebody says, well, you know, a lot of folks, they have bedtime reading. And that's okay. And it's different kind of readings. But I tell you what, this is good reading anytime, isn't it? Good reading anytime. These stories of old and all that happened and took place and how God sometimes was treated like he was, should be and then sometimes just the opposite was done. And so may the word of the Lord have an effect as it's preached, as it's witnessed to, as we pray for others that will have an effect on them. And may we rejoice that the burden of the Lord has been placed upon our shoulders. Amen. And that we not try to seek some other way of carrying it. The Lord blessings be upon you. Let's stand and we'll sing a hymn to close out the service.